Welcome to the podcast of the fabulous Las Vegas Rotary Club. My name is Michael Gordon, and I'm proud to serve as the 95th president of the greatest Rotary Club in the world. Our club serves our local and international community through a variety of projects, but our main focus is on youth literacy. If you're ever in town for either business or pleasure, we invite you to join us at one of our weekly lunches. More information about meeting time and location can be found at lasvegasrotary.com. Now, sit back and enjoy this week's speaker. It's my great pleasure today to introduce Mark Paul Patton. He is the, the museum administrator for the Clark County Museum System. Um, you probably know him better from his appearances on the Conestones. And he is a great storyteller, as you would know if he had been here this morning. So I'm going to let him talk. Mark. Well, I figured I'd put on my hat so that you would know who I am. Uh, but I hope everybody noticed something. I do have hair. Uh, that's something that people seem to think is the reason I wear the hat. No, I wear the hat because I like hats. It's not all that interesting. Um, I came over here in 1993, uh, just to give you a little background on myself. I have been in the museum field for 40 years. I have worked in and, and run museums all over the United States. I was in San Luis Obispo County in uh, 1993. I was running the museum system there. And a flyer came across my desk that was talking about the fact that the county of Clark, Nevada, was looking for somebody to help create an aviation museum at McCarran International Airport. Now, I don't run aviation museums. I'm a local historian. So I said, huh, that's interesting. Took it home, showed it to my wife. And she said, well, is there anything in there that you can't do? And I said, no, no, I can do all of this. And then, well, they say they're not looking for an aviation historian. They're looking for a museologist. And that's a new word for you, museologist. That's what I am. It's actually a profession out there. And so I said, yeah, but you know, they're, they're still going to want somebody that comes out of an aviation museum. She said, no, oh, it's a 29 cents day, Sunday. Gives you an idea how long it was, how long ago it was. And so I sent in my resume, and I got back this application form. Have any of you worked for Clark County? OK, well, let me explain. The, the form you have to fill out is about 487 pages long. <laughs> and they want you to restate everything in your resume because they don't care about your resume. And I looked at this thing and said, I'm not going to spend the time doing this. And my wife said, no, 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 go ahead. And I should explain, I've been married 39 years. I do follow directions well. <laughs> and so I ended up filling it out, sending it in, and I got an interview. Uh, okay, fine. Came over here, did the interview, had nine people on the panel being interviewed, uh, were interviewing me. And they got down to the end of the interview, and you know there's always that gotcha question, right? The one that wants to, you know, how are you going to react under pressure? You know, and I'm looking at this thing going, well, this is kind of curious, but I'm just having a good time. And they finally got down to the end, and they say, well, we know that we said that you don't have to be an aviation historian, but since it is an aviation museum, why don't you give us a quick history of aviation with names and dates? 
<laughs> and I looked at them and I laughed. And I said, I can do this on San Luis Obispo County because I've been running the museum there. I don't know this on aviation history. But if I was going to put one together and I started with the, the Wright brothers and I took it forward, and apparently I, I did a fairly decent job. I was told afterwards that I'd blown them away because nobody else had been able to come up with something. And because I thought I had no chance whatsoever, I just went with it. And so they offered me the job and I said, I can't accept it. And they said, why not? I said, I don't know whether my wife and I want to live there. I don't, you know, I don't gamble. Well, I do have two children. I did gamble twice. <laughs> but and thankfully successfully both times. But you know, we, we said, well, we'll have to come over and see the community. Well, we came over and looked at the community. Colleen went to UNLV, found that she could get she she was going back to, to school, she wanted her PhD, and we found that they had a program that would work there. We found a community we wanted to be a part of. And we said, okay. We ended up moving over here. And I ended up with a museum that's not in a museum building. And I thought, this is interesting. I'd been in the field for quite a few years at that point. But the idea of taking the museum out of the museum building and putting it where people are, so that they can go through it with ever, without ever having to make much of a decision. Because when you think about it, when you, and this is the same for any business, when you're trying to get people to your business, to your place, now they have to decide to get up and move and come in. You know, and in the museum field, it's just the same. You have to decide. If you're coming out to the county museum, you have to drive out to Henderson, Boulder Highway, and go in. Yeah, I know we're only open seven days a week. It's hard mine is open. But, you know, you still have to make that decision. With the one at the airport, it was interesting because all you have to do is move two feet over and you're in one of the exhibits. We're throughout the airport. There is no separate building. And this made it a very interesting and a very fun museum to help create out. Now, and those of you who were not on the tour today, I'm going to say it again now because I don't want anybody to make the, the mistaken assumption that I am not aware that Rotary, and especially this club, got us started. The money that the Las Vegas Rotary Club put in at the beginning and the other Rotary Clubs that donated made such a difference in making sure that the exhibit and the museum would be there. Wasn't that it funded everything, but when you're dealing with government, having somebody from the outside say, we're willing to put our money up on this as well, makes government go, oh, well, then it's okay to put money there. And that's what we ended up with. Now, the Aviation Museum, I should say, is not funded out of your tax dollars. It is funded by the Department of Aviation. All the funds that go into that come from the DOA. And it is managed by Parks and Recreation through a joint agreement between those two departments. I'm in a very weird position when it comes to uh, where I'm at in the county at times. But what it allowed us to do was create a museum out there in McCarran Airport, and now in the Henderson Executive Airport, and in the North Las Vegas Airport. 
We have exhibits throughout all of these. And we have exhibits throughout the airport. So you can be out in A-gates and see what a, a uh, it's A-gates, it's either A or B, uh, what it looked like to be a stewardess on Hughes Air West in the 1970s. Or you can see a uniform, a flight suit worn by Howard Hughes. Or you can see a stewardess uniform from Bonanza Airlines in one of the other ones. Or you can see as you're going past on the moving walkway out to the Seagates, you can see changing exhibits along there. Or you can see some of the liveries of various airlines in the BC Bridge now. And we have these things throughout. They're all free, and they're all open 24-7, and they reach out to everybody coming into and going out of Las Vegas in a way that nothing else does. Now, this is one of those things, and some of this, those of you who are on the tour today, you will be hearing some of the same things, because I feel kind of proud of them. Um, but this is a way for people coming to Las Vegas to understand that we have a history. One of the main things that we find out when they do intercept surveys of people using the airport, because they do that constantly to see you know, how the airport's doing and all that. And when they do that and they ask about the museum, one of the things they often get is, it was really interesting to find out that Las Vegas has a history. Well, you think about that, it's, it's really not that insightful an idea, but people do not understand our history here. They do not understand the people that helped create Las Vegas. If they understand anything, it's that the mob was here. <laughs> the mob was thugs. Sorry, they weren't good guys. They weren't here to build a community. They were here to take money out of it. They're not the ones that built this community. A lot of other people did. A lot of people that were involved in this club were builders and movers and shakers here. And so that's the sort of thing that they get when they go through the museum, the exhibit. And they don't know they're going through a museum. They're in an airport. You know, all they know is there are some exhibits there. Well, that's kind of interesting. You know, you get to go over and find out why there's a toilet seat in one of the cases. And those of you who went through the tour today, you can tell your friends about that one. Because there is. There's a toilet seat on display. Um, <laughs> I see somebody remembers it, yes, okay, very good. Um, but it was one of those things, coming over here, I got a chance to build a museum that was unlike anything that I had ever run in the past, and to, to really build it up, we did a lot of outreach, we did a whole series of short videos for Channel 4 on aviation history, we have collections, we have uh, research facilities, all that sort of thing. But that's not all out of the, air, at the airport, that's out of the county museum because we run all three of the county's museums out of there. When I started, my sole job was to work at and create the Aviation Museum. In 2007, my colleague retired from the county museum, Mark Brzezinski, some of you may have known him. Uh, the county said, well, you need to be the interim director, and said, fine. And a few months later, the county was very kind to me. They said, you know, you've been doing really well with a full-time job. So here, have another one. 
but don't worry, we won't give you any more money, so it won't affect your taxes. <laughs> and so I ended up running, since the end of 2007, all three of the county's museums. I run the one that you walked through today, I run the county museum out on Boulder Highway, and I run the Searchlight Museum. Now I'm going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you have been to the county museum? Good. For those who raised their hands, those of you who didn't, why not? Come on, we're only open seven days a week. We're two bucks ahead. I've got 30 acres out there. I've got 20 restored buildings. I have a ghost town. I've got walking trails, nature areas. Come on. Come on out and see us. We're not open 9 to 4.30. Seven days a week. Remember that. Now, the Searchlight Museum, I'll ask for a show of hands. Has anybody been to the Searchlight Museum? Very good. Okay, we've got a couple. The Searchlight Museum is in the community center in Searchlight. And it's open mainly about 10 to 2, 10 to 3 every day. It's open by volunteers, so sometimes I'm not sure whether it's open or not. But Searchlight is one of those really interesting little communities. Did you know that Scott Joplin wrote a rag for Searchlight? The first man to fly nonstop across the United States was Justice of the Peace in Searchlight. Edith Head grew up in Searchlight. Wow. Searchlight's an interesting little place. And then there's some, some senator or somebody was from Searchlight as well. Um, and, and of course, the namesake of Nellis Air Force Base grew up in Searchlight. So Searchlight is an interesting community, and we have a museum down there that talks about its history as well. And all the time, everything we do, we're always trying to reach out and get people to show up at the museums, come out and visit us. So in 2009, I started doing a live television show for Channel 4. You remember 2009 was our county centennial year. The city was founded, Las Vegas was founded in in 1905, 1909, we became a separate uh, county named for William Andrews Clark, I always like to point out, who was considered the most corrupt U.S. Senator in the history of the U.S. Senate. <laughs> but he also brought the railroad into here, and so there was a reason we named ourselves for him. But in 2009, the county decided they were going to do a live television show on Channel 4 once a month with a round table of, of old timers talking about a certain part of history. And they wanted to get some named person to be the MC on this, and everybody they talked to said no. And so about three days out from the first show, they said, well, why don't you do it, Mark? You've MC'd things before. And I said, okay, and they said, remember, it's live. Let me tell you something. If you're ever offered a live, hour-and-a-half-long television show, say no. <laughs> and you cannot imagine how much of your body can seize up while that's happening. But I started doing this. That was all right. And then a couple of weeks later, I got a phone call from New York. And it was some production firm back there who said, you know, we're going to be doing a new reality show in Las Vegas. Okay, fine, do whatever you want to do. 
And they said, can you look at a West Point uniform coat and tell us whether it's real? And I said, sure, I can do that. I've seen uniforms for years. And they said, can you do it on camera? It's like, I'm doing a lot of television now. I can do it on camera. And that's not a problem. <laughs> they said, can you tell us what it's worth? And I said, no. And then they proceeded to explain to me that all the experts on this new show uh, had to say what things were worth. I said, fine, go get somebody else. You know, and they said, well, we'll try you anyways. <laughs> okay. They tried me. Apparently, I passed. And it was interesting because that very first show, the seller on the show asked me what the piece was worth, this uniform I said, I don't know, I don't care. You know, that's not what I'm about. I'm about whether it's real. Is it history? Is it something you can teach with? That's what makes it valuable in my world. I don't care what you, you know, you guys figure out whatever you want to do on the box. And and Rick, by the way, Rick, it was Rick Harrison's idea to do Palm Stars. It was not the History Channel. It was not Left Field Pictures. It was his personal idea. And I have to tell you that he is really quick on his feet. Because in that very first taping, without missing a beat, when the guy asked me and I said no on the price, he said, I've been asking Mark for years for a price, and he just won't give me one. <laughs> and I'm sitting there at my desk looking at him going, you're good. <laughs> you're really good at this. So... You know, the show went on, it became what it's, it's become, it is uh, an international success. The show's on in 151 countries, uh, translated into 32 languages. I know we're down in Brazil, I know we're in Mexico, I see lots of folks that come up here when I'm doing autograph signings. And that, and that is one of the weirdest things for any museum director to ever be able to say. I do autograph signings, are you kidding me? Who cares about the museum director? But I did the show not for me to do autographs on. I did the show to advertise the museums. I figured nobody was going to watch this thing. I thought it was the dumbest idea I'd ever heard of for a television show. Really, what comes into a pawn shop in Vegas? Oh, yeah. That's going to be fascinating. I'm good with history. I'm bad with prognostication. But we ended up, you know, the show took off and all that, and it has done wonders for attendance at the museums. People come in from all over the world, and they are coming into Las Vegas to go to a pawn shop, to go to the county museum, to go to an auto restoration place. It is amazing what that has done. And not just, you know, for the pawn shop, it's done wonders for uh, Ricketts family down there. But it's actually done a lot of good for Las Vegas. Because people all over the world know there's more to us than just gaming. There's nothing wrong with gaming. There's nothing wrong with entertainment. There's nothing wrong with the strip. But there's more to this place than just that. You know, and it has brought people in. We have people, when, when I'm sitting there signing autographs, I have people who have just gotten married, and they walk over to a pawn shop. One that's not a good order. <laughs> just, just an aside. But they, they, they are so excited. 
or they have just flown into McCarran and they take a cab right to the pawn shop. It's a pawn shop. But it's the pawn shop that you see throughout the world. And I can tell you, it is seen, um, just a couple of stories, I was, I, uh, my wife and I went to Ireland a couple of years ago, first time I've ever been there. We flew into Shannon, had the red eye over there, got off the plane, walked up to passport control, and the guy in the window looked at me and said, hello, Mark. <laughs> I'm still holding on my, my passport. He just going, huh? He said, oh, that show's on over here. We watch it all the time. Yes, sir. Okay, whatever. <laughs> the only good thing, by the way, was I could not buy a drink in a pub in Ireland. That was all right. <laughs> but I was just in, in Europe a couple of months ago, and throughout Europe, and we were just driving around, my wife and I were just on vacation, and we were being stopped everywhere. Um, there are some uh, gallery guards in the Neue Pinakothek, which is an art museum in Munich, who are very confused as to who this weird bearded guy was that had teenage girls running over and screaming at him. <laughs> I don't think so. But they knew me from the show. I was stopped in Vidu's Liechtenstein on the street by a couple of Norwegian guys who needed to get a picture with me. Now think about that. The museum director from Clark County, Nevada is in Liechtenstein so the Norwegians can get pictures. But all of that has brought people here, and has brought people to the museums, has let them learn a little bit more about everything that we're doing here, and all of our history here, and really, why we put two million people in the middle of the desert. Because if you look at it today, there's a lot of things that don't make sense. But if you understand our history, it makes perfect sense why we are here, what we are doing. And why we ended up here. That's what all of our museums are about, is helping people to understand their own heritage. Now I will tell you, uh, there are some downsides to being recognizable in most of the world. Uh, the very first year the show was on, in 2009, first time that my wife and I realized what this was going to do to our lives, we were over in Orange, California, at an Arco station on Tustin, anybody knows Orange, um, and I had just filled up the, the van, we were getting ready to drive back over here, and uh, Colleen had gotten in the car, I was stepping in, and this guy came barreling across the parking lot and ran up to me, and he said, I saw the hat, I saw the beard, I saw the license, you're the guy from Palm Stars. And I said, yes I am. He said, I hate you. <laughs> and I realized at that point in over 30 years of museum work, nobody had ever told me they hated me in an organization. <laughs> so I said, why? And he said, why won't you give them a price? <laughs> I said, because I don't sell this stuff, I run museums. And he said, oh, okay, they won't go. <laughs> Oh, this is weird, and my wife looked at me, you know, she's the sociologist, she's a professor at UNLV, and she looked at me and she said, I'm going to have to start taking notes. 
<laughs> she has now done papers on the process of becoming a celebrity. Now there's a term you don't identify with museum director. Um, she has published on it. There is actually a professional journal out of Australia called the Journal of Celebrity Studies. And she has published in that about how this has affected us. My kids try very hard not to identify themselves as my kids. <laughs> Where, wherever they're at, they always get out. You know, that, that does happen. They, they eventually find, you know, somebody figures out who their dad is. Um, you know, and, and they will follow it. You know, my, my daughter, who's a, a health inspector over in Washoe County, uh, was sitting in her office one day, and another lady in the office sat down in, in, at, at uh, Ellen's desk and said, is it true your folks have 20,000 volumes in their library at home? And Ellen said, well, I think there's more than that. Well, why are you stalking my folks? <laughs> and, and it was just that she was a fan. Okay. But it does get very interesting. You end up, there, there is no place you can go and expect to be anonymous. You know, I don't know that any of the tour today saw, but there were a number of people that were stopping and pointing, and they, when the police officers went by, a couple of them were saying, oh, that's that guy. In fact, I thought about just you know, renaming myself that guy, because <laughs> I'm always, that's that guy. You know, but it has ended up being a positive for our museum. It is one of those things that has brought the attention there, it has brought the attention to Las Vegas in a different way than a lot of other things. As I say, there's nothing wrong with all the other things, but there is more here than that. So I don't know how much time I have, but, or whether I need to shut up now. Yeah, well, let's take some questions. Okay, we can do questions. I'm happy. We're, we're live, and now you got more fans. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I've got the mic, so who's got a question? Brock. I'd like to hear a little bit more about George Crockett's, uh, Katie's dad's involvement with McCarran, the land there, and how it's affected us. Sure. All right. Was it? Five minutes. Okay. And, and you just, just tell me. I'm good at shutting up. Um, the, George Crockett came here in 1941. He was a salesman at that point selling aircraft, but he saw in Las Vegas a need for a general aviation airport. And so he decided to build one. He looked around for very, you know, where property would be available. He looked at the property that is now McCarran International Airport. But remember, at that point, that property was five miles out of town. It was way out in the desert. So he went out there, made the deal on leasing the land, went to a nearby ranch called the Hidden Wells Ranch, and knocked on the front door and telling the story again. And uh, this was the Nickerson Ranch. Uh, and Peggy Nickerson, who was, I believe, 16 at the time, uh, opened the front door, and this young man is standing there, and he says, Hi, I'm George Crockett, and I'm going to build an airport next door. Now, today, if somebody stops at your house and says they're going to build an airport next door, is your reaction going to be, Would you like to come in for some iced tea? Probably not. But at that point, that was the reaction. It was like, oh, okay. And George built the airport out there. I mean, he he was building it from scratch. It was just open desert. He was scraping 
runways by dragging a log behind a truck or a tractor, doing whatever he could, got the thing started up, opened in 1943, right in the depths of World War II. Think about that. 1943 was not a good time to be trying to open a new business when all of the aviation was being controlled by the federal government at that point. But you could fly uh, private aircraft if you had the private aircraft, if you had money to get the fuel in that. So he got it open and started uh, doing whatever he could. It became a, a well-respected airport here, but it was a small one. It was way outside of town. You know, in fact, you know where the Hacienda used to be, right across the street. Well, as late as when the Hacienda got started in the mid-50s, the comment used to be, you could go to the Hacienda or you could go to Las Vegas. They weren't the same place. <laughs> remember, that's where the airport was, way out of town. But what ended up happening at the end of World War II is they shut down uh, the original McCarran Airport. This McCarran's name was originally on the airport that's now Nellis Air Force Base. That was 1941 when that became McCarran Airport. It was taken over by the Army Air Corps, became the training base, but it was still where civilian commercial traffic flew into. Because all civilian commercial traffic during World War II was controlled by the Army Air Corps. You didn't fly anywhere, you didn't carry anyone, unless it was proved by the Army Air Corps. So they could have both there at that time. But war is over, they shut down the training base, they reopened the airport, and then Patrick McCarran started pushing one, for a separate U.S. Air Force, separated from the Army, and two, to have the, Ar the, the Army Air Corps and the Air Force reopen the training base here. He was very good at bringing home the bacon. And so they decided to reopen that, but they said, you know, it's, it's after the war, we don't com control commercial traffic, so you're going to have to find another Air Force. We can't have commercial traffic on a military airport And so the city of Las Vegas started looking around for another airport. And they couldn't find one that would work within the city limits. So they went to the county, and the county ended up looking at North Las Vegas and these other ones, but they ended up identifying George Crockett's airport, Alamo Airport, as the best opportunity in 1948, 47 into 48. They worked out a deal to take over the airport from George and reopened it in December of 1948 as the Clark County Municipal Airport McCarran Field was the official name. No one ever called it the Clark County Municipal Airport and nobody could figure out whether it was McCarran Airport or McCarran Field. People would call it both in the same newspaper article. And that stayed, stayed the same way until 1965 when it officially became just McCarran Airport in 1968, it became McCarran International Airport. So just to hopefully that filled in some of it. And, and so President yeah. Michael, I Thank found you. out on the tour that Howard Hughes used to babysit Katie Crockett. Absolutely. There's another story. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. But I would like to present you with our Share What You Can Award 
we are going to present a meal to a homeless vet in your name. So if you can pause and smile for the camera, and as he's coming to the front, I'm sure Mark will tap to stay around if you have questions for him. Sure. And if Ryan Hamilton and Mark can take a picture too, so our resident Pawn Star expert take a picture with the fame gloves. Thank you. Like I say, Rotary is like tennis. The one who serves best usually wins. Now go to court and make a difference. Thank you for joining us for another wonderful meeting of the Rotary Club of Las Vegas. If you're interested in membership or want to know more about our upcoming projects and speakers, please visit lasvegasrotary.com for more information. Now go forth and make a difference.